Welcome to the Dance Centre podcast. I am your host, Claire French, and I'm joining you from the traditional unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh peoples, also known as Vancouver, Canada. I'll be talking to dancers, choreographers and other members of the dance world here on the West Coast to find out more about their creative work and practices and to discuss what it means to us to be dance professionals today. Thanks for joining us. Today my guests are Fiana Kawane and Shilpa Shankar. I'm delighted to be speaking to them both. As a wonderful addition to this podcast that really embraces the tone of the interview, Shilpa and Fiana read each other's bios. So thank you so much to both of them for that. You will hear those before the start of the conversation. Fiana and Shilpa will both be performing in our first Discover Dance of the series, which is Classical Indian Dancers in Focus, on Thursday, September 28th at 12 noon at Scotiabank Dance Centre. Shilpa Shankar is a Bharatnatyam dance artist based in Vancouver, Canada. Originally from India, where she received initial training in the dance form under Nirupama Rajendra of Abhinava Dance Company, she currently receives advanced training in Bharatnatyam at Mandala Arts and Culture and has been under the mentorship and guidance of artistic director Jay Govinda for the past four years. Shilpa is also a certified public accountant working as an assurance professional in a big four accounting firm. She serves as a treasurer on the board of Company 605, a dance society. Fiana Kavani is a dance artist trained in Kathak, a North Indian classical dance form. She received her training in dance over the course of more than a decade at Kadam in Ahmedabad, founded and directed by Kumudini Lakya. Fiona has performed globally in over 100 events independently and ensemble. She currently is pursuing doctoral research on lyric, poetry, ecology, diaspora, and modern South Asia at the Department of English Language and Literature, UBC. I will just start by welcoming Shilpa Shankar and Fiona Kawane to this podcast interview. I'm so excited. I love talking to, well, everybody I talk to, but having two people and finding out how you know each other, if at all you do, and having that kind of triangle of conversation is um, a really lovely thing too. And um, it's so nice that our listeners can get to know new people in the community in a way for maybe for the dance center community, but especially in the contemporary dance world that I'm in. It's so wonderful to have conversations with people who have come to dance in many different ways. So um, welcome, welcome. I'm so glad we're going to have this conversation today. So respectively, I'd love for us to just maybe mention where we are in Vancouver at the moment, if indeed we are all in Vancouver. I'm downtown Vancouver at the moment. I believe Fiona is as well. Uh, Fiona, would you like to just say where you are, where you are located? Yeah, I'm uh, close to VGH on unceded ancestral territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh peoples. Great, thank you. And Shilpa? Well, firstly, Claire, thank you so much for having us. I am absolutely excited about having a discussion with you today. In fact, you might not know this, but you were one of the first people at the dance center that I ever had a conversation with. Uh Um, It was in the peak of the pandemic when I was trying to book the Paris studio for something and um, you were the first person I spoke to over the phone. (laughs) I am uh, currently in Pitt Meadows. That's where I live. So I'm not in Vancouver. I am in a suburb 
And I have to just say, I, I met wonderful people over phone conversations and Zoom conversations during COVID. And partly this podcast was, you know, the kind of timing of the podcast was very much, you know, um, connected to how much we had to shift in our communication, but also what that lent, you know, in terms of how we could enhance our communications. So it's so great that I get to have another conversation with you and find out more about you than just booking space <laughs> and membership. So yeah, that's wonderful. Okay, so let's go back a little bit. And for both of you to just talk maybe a little bit about your experiences of training in India first, and then in Vancouver, and maybe how yeah, what, how you chose, did, did you feel that you chose your dance styles, that kind of, you know, like your training and then choice of training? I suppose a kind of, there's a little bit of an element of what kept you and what keeps you dancing in your form. Yeah. So uh, Shilpa, would you like to go first? Sure. My dance journey is a rather unconventional one. Um, I was born and raised in Bangalore, India, which is where I initially trained um, under Nirupama Rajendra of Aminaba Dance Company. Uh, but as a young girl, I had numerous other interests and passions. I enjoyed reading and writing. I was on the debate teams in school and college. And above all, I just had a very keen interest in academics. So that was a phase in my life where I would spend 16 to 18 hours a day between classes and studying. So that left room in my life for very little else, you know. So I stopped dancing altogether when I was in India and um, graduated from school, graduated from college, acquired degrees. I then moved to the U.S. I acquired my CPA there and uh, started my career in audit and assurance. It wasn't until 2018 when my husband and I moved to Vancouver that dance came back into my life. Ah. There's something about being in a new city that I think offers the promise of a new beginning. You are more, you know, you, you tend to try out new things. I saw that there was a really good school for Bharatanatyam in Vancouver. Um, and it appeared to be a leading school in Canada for the dance style. And I thought, well, why not? Let me go try a class. So I land up at the dance center on the fourth floor. <laughs> I take a class there with Jay Govindaji, um, who's my teacher and mentor of Mandala Arts and Culture. And he initially invited me to be a part of the intermediate group just because I had some prior training. But at the end of the first class, he comes up to me and he says, well, I don't think you're ready. But remember, by that time, I hadn't danced for 15, maybe 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, so my turnout was poor. I wasn't holding my back right. You know, the Natya Ramam, which is the basic but at the Nakin stance was all wobbly and droopy. And let's just say that there were a number of things that needed fixing. <laughs> so he said, well, I think you're going to have to go to the beginner class and uh, build your technique back up. So the next week I went to the beginner class and there I was, a grown woman in her 20s, late 20s, uh, dancing with young girls who were between the age group of seven and 14, 13 maybe. And there I was, you know, trying to um, build my technique back up again. But fortunately, um, you know, through JJ's guidance, he was able to provide me with uh, corrections week over week that really helped build my technique back up again. And uh, in about a year's time, I was able to catch up and uh, he then invited me to start dancing with uh, his advanced students. So that's how dance came back into my life. And now, of course, it's an integral part of my identity. It's become a way of life. It's a part of my everyday. Um, and I can't think of um, life anymore without dancing it. Oh, that's wonderful. We'll come back to many points that you brought up there. But Fiona, I'll give you a chance to uh, uh, 
catch up on your um, training too. Yeah, it's um, really lovely to hear Shilpa's story because I think we've only connected over social media and we haven't actually met in person. Um, but I, I, so far, you know, I've been very curious to also learn a little bit more about the sorts of different Indian classical dances that happen in the city that precede, you know, my being here. And it's really lovely to hear this journey of, of Shilpa's. I've been engaged in movement since a very young age. I began with theater folk dances, but it was only around age nine that I started training in Kathak. And my parents had this, you know, really big desire for all of their daughters to learn some form of Indian classical dance or music, things that they didn't have in their own life, but they wanted us to have access to. So... When I was around eight or nine, they took me to two institutes in my city, uh, Ahmedabad, which is in western part of India. So there was Kadam, which was run by Kumudini Lakhya, and then there was Darpana, which was run by Nalini Sarabhai. And they asked me to sit in on the classes, and they said, nine-year-old me, choose one. <laughs> and it was quite arbitrary. I seemed to really like the teacher in the Kathak class, so I ended up joining the Kathak class. And I had the choice of choosing a form. My sisters didn't have that choice. It was made for them. <laughs> because ah. for my mother, it was easier to take us to the same location and train in the same um, institute. So for the beginning, I was taught by Lajja Sambhavnath, who now has her own institute, and then by Vaishali Trivedi for the rest of my training. We also had access to other um, senior artists who were part of the performing company, like Sanjukta Sinha, would, who would, you know, come in and sit in on our rehearsals and give us feedback about, you know, whether our, our turns or chakras are good enough or not. And it was a really lively environment because it was a professional company as well. But my parents had no intention for me to go into performance professionally. They just wanted me to be a good student uh, and never miss a single class. <laughs> so I think the only times that I missed my class in my 13 years of training in India were maybe if there's monsoon flooding and nobody can access. <laughs> uh -huh. So that would be the only time when I would skip a class. It was very like, it was very ritualistic. It was a very big part of my, my sort of everyday life. And around age 14, Kumudini Lakhya, so who is the founder director of the institute where I trained, we call her Kumiben. So Kumiben selected me to be part of the performing repertoire. She asked me to learn a couple of the, you know, repertoire pieces. And I was very young and I didn't even know what I was actually doing at that time. But I just followed along with whatever I was asked to do. And around 16, we did this um, Year of India and Canada tour where we went across nine different cities in Canada and we performed Kumiben's uh, piece. It's called Atahkim, which means where do we go from here? I was very young. I, at that time, I didn't really have any plans of moving to Canada, although I really you know, I was I was on the highways in Ontario and Quebec, and I was thinking, what a beautiful country. I'd really love to come back <laughs> someday. And um, since year seven of my training, I received a merit-based scholarship that covered my evening training classes. So I was really like part of that uh, milieu for a very long time as a student for, you know, just um, walking alongside people much, much older and much, much more experienced than me and 
learning from them until I turned 21 when I moved away. Such rich backgrounds and very interesting that there is an intergenerational aspect to it. Shilpa, you going back into the basic classes with seven and 14 year olds and <laughs> Fiona, you're the other way going, you know, working with senior artists and learning from that. Do you ever practice alone? Are you expected to practice alone? Or is it the idea that you are always with a, a guru or a, a master who is there to observe as you practice? Is it open uh, a lot of the time? Or is there a certain point where you become, where you know you've become advanced or professional if you can safely practice alone and know that you're not like picking up bad habits? Like, is that, would you say that is part of the training that you are observed up until a certain point? Or yeah, Fiana, can you maybe speak to that? Yeah. Yeah, I think I was watching this documentary by Akram Khan and his relationship with his guru mentor, uh, where he trained with in Kathak. And um, that relationship is really like a parent and a child relationship. It's, uh, you know, you pass on all of your knowledge and your training to somebody that you would like to carry forward. But because we live in a world with, you know, multiple pedagogies and multiple ways of orienting towards the world, there are different interpretations of that relationship, of the student-teacher relationship. And I would say that um, because I was part of a women-led institute, I was surrounded by incredibly powerful women who are doing their own thing with you know, very strong voices and very strong aesthetic. It was very, I would say, very radical and very revolutionary in the way that they reimagined that guru-shishya, that student-teacher relationship. And, and there's a lot of merit to that relationship. Uh, we did have that modality, but we also had some freedom to play and, you know, be individuals and um, do other things as well. So, mm-hmm. okay. yeah. And so when I moved to Vancouver, I didn't have any sort of other, other group to join. So I ended up practicing all on my own. Uh, it was really necessity, not by choice. Because yeah. it's really amazing to be dancing with other people, um, to be doing the basic training exercises with, you know, 30 other people in the same classroom. It's really powerful. But I practiced mostly on my own out of necessity. Yeah. Great. And Shilpa, would you like to address that question? I think to be able to practice before an experienced teacher Uh, is a gift in itself and everybody should sort of explore that relationship as much as they can. In the Indian classical dance tradition, even once dancers start to perform independently uh, and don't take regular classes, it's not uncommon for them to go and show their work to a more senior teacher just to get their perspective. It certainly is possible to, and uh, I mean, a lot of dancers, professional Indian classical dancers perform independently, but uh, there is some degree of mentorship that that exists inherently in the culture. In my own practice, I do dance uh, with, you know, I I do take group classes at Mandala Arts and Culture, where I dance with other students before the teacher. I also have private classes before the teacher. But, you know, what that provides is the outline. There are a lot of colors that you need to fill in. And those colors come from exploring those compositions and exploring those pieces on your own. I'm joining you now from my home studio. This is my garage, which is my, <laughs> which is my dance studio. And I uh, tend to 
work are a lot of pieces very much in isolation, put in the colors, create it, and then, you know, show it to my teacher to see what sticks and what doesn't. <laughs> so I think both are important. It's, it's, it's an absolute blessing, a joy, and a gift to be able to dance before an experienced teacher. But it's also extremely essential for you to go back and do that creative work on your own and take the piece where you want it to go. Yeah, wonderful. I feel the same way that there's the social aspect of learning is sometimes, I don't want to say necessarily quicker, it's not important that it's quicker, but it's more that it's a, it's an embodied learning that kind of gets to the parts of the body that needs to receive the information a little faster and the connect, literal connection to other people and to how other people are interpreting or how other people's bodies respond to instruction, I think is one of the reasons why I still love to dance and why I can never learn enough about dance and about different dance forms. So I really appreciate that. And I really, I, I really appreciate the respect that you're both showing. It seems inherent um, in, in the idea of discipline and training and the kind of understanding and comprehension of what a, um, a master and what your um, guru can actually help you with and be there for us. So could we talk a little bit about your, uh, actually how you ended up in Vancouver, both of you? <laughs> Shilpa, would you like to start? Sure. Well, when you've lived for 10 plus years in Minneapolis in the United States mm-hmm. and have lived through enough blizzards, I think you want to move to somewhere <laughs> that has warmer climate. Well, uh, a, a big a big part of moving to Vancouver was just because I was tired of the snow, to be very honest. And my husband and I wanted a new experience and wanted to be in a city that was, you know, had where, where you could spend a lot of time outdoors. We visited Vancouver a couple of times and we fell in love with the city and we decided to move. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, I work for a big four accounting firm. I'm an audit insurance professional and my career is very important to me and I was able to sort of transfer my job over to Vancouver. So it was a perfect match. Um, and my husband was able to do the same. So that's how we found ourselves in Vancouver. And it's not a decision we regret. We're still in love with the city, just as much in love with the city as we were the very first day we saw it. There's so much to explore and so much of natural beauty. And we're really happy to be here. Yeah, it's wonderful. Fiona? Yeah, I could start a little bit earlier than Vancouver because I lived across Toronto and Montreal. Mm. And I moved first to Montreal for love and I was just 21. So my parents were like, you know, what are what are you going to do with your life? You have to, you know, promise us that you'll, you know, do something valuable, useful with your time and not just sit and wait for somebody that you moved for. (laughs) Once I moved to Montreal, then I applied for my master's. So I went to Toronto. I lived there for a bit and then I ended up applying for my PhD program. So then I moved to Vancouver. I hadn't seen the universities that I was going to. I hadn't even really reckoned with the fact that what would I do about my dance? Where would I dance? Those things were not really the top of my mind. It was more like, where will I go where I have something to do (laughs) with my time? Yeah. So I came to Vancouver to start my PhD program in 2019. And um, just after a couple of months, the pandemic hit. So that wasn't really a very good time to 
start dancing again or you know i know that um a lot of artists who had been practicing here for a very long time they also suffered a lot because a lot of the shows got canceled and you know a lot of the opportunities for communities to gather in person got postponed or rescheduled indefinitely mm -hmm. so for for i think the first two three years of my program i didn't even think about dancing in the city although i was always watching uh, what was going on and reading material on the dance that was happening in the city or yeah just watching it from the sidelines and then and then last year i decided to just out of the blue apply for 12 minute max which is the choreographic residency at the dance center and i didn't really expect that i would yeah, I would be selected because I don't have any sort of Western contemporary dance training or background. So it was a little, it was a little bit of a surprise for me. And uh, yeah, and from then on, I just restarted my dance. Um, similar to Shilpa, I took like a bit of a sabbatical from my dance to be able to focus on the program and, uh, you know, the horrible comprehensive exams that, you know, <sighs> drain so much of your life <laughs> Take over um, your life absolutely yes <laughs> yeah well I find I find it very interesting then that because I feel like during the COVID period and, and Chilpa mentioned at the beginning that that's how we met you know during that period of time on on the phone there there was a bit a big shift and also I found it quite interesting since that there's that time there was a time of, you know, obviously kind of a grieving in a way for lives and practices that we were suddenly told, you know, we, we could not do. Um, and especially the social side that we've just been talking about was really um, kind of removed from our lives. But it did allow us all to reevaluate and I and spend some time reflecting. Something's happened where people have found a new relationship with dance or have found new a new sensibility uh, so that dancing now fits into their lives differently. That's happened for me, you know, as mainly a choreographer. And now I'm dancing quite a bit more than I have for quite a while. And that's been so wonderful and so rewarding and totally unexpected. And I did not plan <laughs> for that to happen. And I find that really fascinating. But also it brought all of us to Vancouver. It's, it's quite interesting how Vancouver is kind of a magnet you know, for both for dancers and for, you know, other people to come and enjoy it and find new things with it and appreciate Vancouver and, you know, the unceded territories for all that it still can provide us. So I think that's really um, amazing. So has Vancouver influenced you? Has it influenced your dancing? Do you think Vancouver has kind of affected you has kind of like infiltrated your psyche and like and and changed the way you see maybe dance or or how you might imagine your dance form is presented I mean Fianna you did just mention 12 minute max and how you were surprised that you were you know accepted in but for me that it's not a surprise I think it's one of the wonderful things about 12 minute max is that it's at attempting to say that contemporary dance includes other dance forms and other dance perspectives other than the Western contemporary dance training that we conventional training that we might have come to expect or even contemporary ballet there, there's more to contemporary dance than that and artists like you allow us you know kind of invite us to, to literally see it in the styles however 
you are both classical Indian dancers. And I think you say that the classical Indian form. So can Vancouver influence you as classical Indian dancers in terms of your dancing? Or is it more the people? Is it the environment that you're working in? Is there anything there that you feel Vancouver has provided the experience of you being in Vancouver rather than, you know, has provided for your dancing or even your person? Shilpa? Yes, I owe dance to Vancouver in many ways, Claire. Like I mentioned previously, just because I moved to a new city, felt like I could try new things. I don't think I would have been prompted to take up a dance class if it wasn't for my move to Vancouver to begin with. Um, Just because this was a new city, I didn't really know many people and um, I was open to trying new things. And it was also, at the time when I was moving, I moved, my husband and I, we moved away from Minneapolis where we had a really large circle of friends. And you know, when you're an immigrant, your friends become your family in many ways. Mm -hmm. So when we moved to Vancouver, we were struggling to find that social connection. We were struggling to make those inroads. And that's when I found dance. And ever since, I think dance has been my best friend. It's been my companion throughout in Vancouver. Mm. You know, a, a huge chunk of my training, you spoke of, the, of COVID and the pandemic, a huge chunk of my training was over Zoom during the pandemic. And uh, none of that really would have happened if it wasn't for Vancouver. So I think Vancouver is very instrumental to me dancing again. Um, mm. I, I, I couldn't think of dancing in any other city. Hmm. It's beautiful. Yeah, I would say that um, I've, I'm just starting dancing in Vancouver this year. So I've had the wonderful opportunity to meet a lot of dance artists across different genres at different stages of their dance life and um, learn from their journeys. And I, I think of my community in dance, not in terms of like whether I can do my form with them in the same class, but whether there are certain sort of shared values or shared ideas about the dance in general. Like like when I trained with Kathak, I was taught really well what I'm doing, but because we're not technically trained to speak a lot about what we do or why we do or how we do, I didn't really have a vocabulary for myself. Why am I dancing and how am I dancing? Who is my audience? Where am I taking my dance? And I think those are the questions that I'm really investigating at the moment this year, thanks to, you know, the longstanding work in dance that is, is being done here in the city. It's, it's, it's a long history. I'm reading a lot of work by the dance historian uh, Pepper. Um, Kaya all the work. Pepper. Yes, Kaya Pepper and all the work that she's written archiving that story and uh, because I work with language in my own program, language and dance is something that kind of comes together really nicely in the city because there are so many visual artists, poets, you know, dance artists, music artists in the city and so committed to their form. A lot of them are independent. A lot of them are women. And to see that around me, it's been so inspiring. And so, yeah, it, it just, I wake up every day and I feel like really inspired. <laughs> well, that's yeah. wonderful. I feel like I, I was just, as I mentioned to you, I was just part of the body choir for Nova Dance. And I, I did not expect this, but I said, I said to somebody else recently, what I didn't expect was to become part of and feel like we'd, we'd created a kind of sisterhood as a group of people across our different dance forms. And it was, it was really 
extremely special. I feel like that was a really strong part of the experience. Uh, and I can't really, I don't really want to articulate it beyond that in words because it's futile in a sense, but it was a very precious time. And dance is full of that. You could think of dance because we form these groups as fickle, because we form these groups and then we have those groups disperse and we go off and do our own things. But then they're not fickle because of how intimate we have to work together and how much we learn from each other. And so uh, it's not like they they just they just can't last forever. But we take something of those experiences with us into our practices beyond that and into other other forms. Are you finding that? Are you finding that you are are you able to draw on lots of academics from Vancouver as well? Or are you in your research? How is that? Uh, how is Vancouver feeding you that way? Yeah, I would say that um, because my dance life precedes my academic life. Yeah, I've always sort of put when it comes to dance, I always begin and end with dance. Sometimes I feel like my own academic work or, or you know, the research articles that I, I read about the stuff that I do might instrumentalize, mm. you know, like the potential for dance to mean so many th- things for so many people. Mm. And it's some people say that it's a universal language. You don't really need words to sort of connect with dance. So I really like that aspect about dance that it seems a bit more capacious and open than academic research and writing and I take my dance seriously very seriously more seriously than my own academic research but I've seen the work of so many women artists in my life how much they've committed to dance um, you know giving up a lot of things in their life 30 40 50 years of dancing full-time and it is work. It is um, a full-time job. It, it is um, intellectual work. It's embodied. It's vulnerable. And um, that's why I've, for a very long time, I kept my research and my dance very separate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but somehow this year, it kind of came together organically. And I think the 12-minute max kind of process started that. I was really unintentional for a very long time. I wanted to keep these two worlds separate, but it just came together. Yeah. Yeah. And you're in a fertile, creative zone, even in academic research, doing a PhD, right? You are actually creating something original and you have to put yourself into it and your own personal passions and to stay motivated. I mean, you cannot finish a PhD unless you stay motivated. Take it from me. <laughs> I've got one now. <laughs> so I, that, that's what that you need that. So that's beautiful. And if dance can serve that, I think that's absolutely wonderful. So I'd love to hear more about that, you know, maybe another time. But you're both balancing, you know, or like you have in a way parallel careers, I would say. And especially in this context as we're talking now, because we're also talking about you being presented in Discover Dance at the Dance Center. And so that is that career that you'll be, you know, kind of sharing with an audience. And Shilpa, you've already mentioned that you are a assurance agent. Yeah, tell us more about that. And partly so in the same way that Fiona just did so eloquently, maybe how they influence each other or don't, they don't have to, of course, but you are, you do bring your skills in as on the board of Company 605. And so there is a little bit of a crossover that way. But would you like to explain maybe how you manage the two things? <laughs> well, um, I work in audit insurance. So I'm an auditor. Um, I'm largely work with 
public companies. So I work in a very deadline-driven environment. It's a world, an industry where, you know, a seven and a half hour workday is more the exception than the norm. Workdays tend to be very long. It's very analytical work. It's very technical. So more often than not, at least during the weekdays, I definitely find myself exhausted mentally, emotionally, physically. Add in the fact that I have an 18-month-old son. <laughs> so, so, so that complicates things a tad bit as well. But when you love something, you give to it, you know. And if I don't have dance in my day, it just doesn't feel complete. So no matter how tired I am, I somehow manage to come into my space, somehow manage to work on things. And I always find myself stepping away from the space, just feeling so much more recharged. It's a balancing act for sure. Uh, it requires some a great amount of discipline for sure, just because you do want to compromise in dance, you do want to compromise at work, you want to do the best, you know, in both worlds. But but, but like I said, when, when you like something, when you're passionate about it, when you, when you love it, you find the time. And that that's how it's been for me. Um, I also have an incredible support system in the form of my husband. So sometimes, you know, if I haven't been able to dance during the evening, my son's having a crazy evening or whatever it is, my husband will tuck him in and then, you know, I'm able to come into the space and practice. So you, 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 you kind of need those pillars of support in your life to be able to make work. And that's how I've been able to sort of juggle the two. I certainly think they influence each other because fundamentally the work ethic or the approach is the same. You know, you go at it with honesty, you go at it with a, a very sincere mindset and you work hard. And I can't think of more hardworking bodies than dancers. And it's the same concept at work too. So I think the fundamental work ethic in both worlds is identical. Um, you're the same person, whether you're dancing or whether you are uh, in the corporate world. Yeah, absolutely. Fiona and I are both nodding <laughs> for the listeners. And I do think there is something about if you prepare well, it's almost like if you mentally prepare and give yourself the time to to shift gears and just use the mental preparation to shift gears, it's it can be quite a quick transition you can make you know back and forth I think that and I think that's okay I, I think I think that the work is partly in the in the preparing and planning and and so that you're in a position almost like of readiness or preparedness to take on the next thing even if you don't fully quite know how long you're going to have to do it but there is a and that's where the willingness comes from I think a little bit is that in allowing making that transition mentally and in your body so you are ready when you arrive in your studio or when you close the computer or when you, you know, turn around or you know start or you pay attention to your breathing you start breathing differently in order to prepare your body to take on something I think that they're all I mean they're all extremely transferable skills <laughs> for any kind of like um anything in our lives. So Fiona, you mentioned 12 Minute Max. Would you both like to just talk a little bit about what you're working on now and maybe just to touch on what you'll be presenting maybe in Discover Dance? doesn't have to be a big reveal. It can We can save it for the event, but just a little bit about what you're working on now would be great. Fiona? Yeah, I'm working on a couple of things at the moment, one of which is sort of revising and remounting my full-length traditional Kathak work, which is mm -hmm. called Nritya Vandan. And it has a series of 
pieces which are very traditional in their composition and their musical composition but the choreography is a little bit more set to the sort of sensibilities that I have been trained in with Kumi Ben so that's something that I'm presenting this summer over a couple of I guess small and big festivals and for discover dance I might present a section of it mm. I'm not sure which section yeah I'm I'm still figuring out the details for that but apart from performances I'm also really excited about developing sort of my choreographic voice over the next year as an artist in residence with Dance Victoria great so that kind of continues the work that I started with 12 minute max and really thinking about um you know kathak is known as a storytelling form it kathak kahe so kathak kahave which means the one who tells a story is a storyteller mm-hmm. but here in the specific context of Vancouver on indigenous territories i'm really in- interested in thinking about what kinds of stories can kathak listen to So I'm really interested in music, I'm really interested in poetry that really informs the kind of work that I'm doing with Kathak and seeing where it goes from there. <laughs> That's wonderful. So is that in- informed by also by Vancouver female artists or I should say uh, even indigenous female artists or have you gone to that extreme or are you more thinking of it in terms of uh, interdisciplinary uh like music poetry uh, within indian classical storytelling i would say like all of the work yeah i would say that all of the work that i'm thinking about in terms of choreography really really relies a lot on my sort of intellectual work that i do as part of my research yeah so you know questions about politics of language what does it mean when we write and talk in english in in a contemporary space who is writing and talking in english articulating themselves Mm-hmm. and what are the forms of that articulation and can i translate that into dance and would it make sense to a particular audience so those are all questions that i've been thinking about as i read modern and contemporary poetry mm-hmm. you know in the in the specific context of 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 the us and canada and diaspora and all mm-hmm. of those things so it's really really emergent i don't necessarily Absolutely. have very specific genealogies that i could trace but it's really emergent thinking at the moment yeah and and generative two words i love emergent and generative very exciting i love that you say what can katak listen to or even hear you know or even like what how can it serve you know how how does it serve also these stories you know in a sense so I think that's I think that's really exciting and that's such a big journey. I mean that is the beginning of an artist journey. You know that could be forever your artist journey. All of the things you will discover along the way. Shilpa, where are you? Working on a couple of things at the moment. I'm presenting a full length work in September for Ragamala Music Society in Edmonton. Mm. I'm I'm very excited about it simply because it's an opportunity to present a full length Bharatanatyam program to an audience that is familiar with Indian classical dance and music which is quite rare to find in the US and Canada because we have discovered dance coming up Yana's going to be presenting Kathak and we'll be presenting Bharatanatyam so very excited about that um, evening and how everything's going to pan out I mean in my own practice um I'm at 
you know, revisiting Bharatanatyam now as an adult, I'm in this space where I'm just so inspired. I'm just so motivated by watching other Bharatanatyam dancers perform. There's so much of geometry, there's so much of beauty, sensuality that, that, that gets created. And I'm in, at a stage where I'm just working on developing myself. I just want a piece of that beauty in my own body. And that inspires me every single day. My inspiration every single day keeps changing and keeps shifting. Um, so that's where I'm at with my own practice. That was really wonderful, Shilpa. Just for the listeners, we are discussing this mid-August. So what I love about doing this sometimes is that we have a little bit of insight into the thinking and the process that's pre uh, the event that you will see, but also pre the marketing or pre the kind of press releases and pre those kinds of things that go out around the, but it's that time in between when with the, the real kind of, uh, kind of the, the depth is happening in the actual process and then the reveal almost of what is actually being created. Um, you're right in the, in the middle of that, in the midst of that. And I think that's, that's really exciting. So thank you so much for sharing both of you. Yeah. So will we, will we be seeing classical Indian dance from both of you? Or what does contemporary Indian dance mean to the two of you? I did ask Jai this so, uh, during COVID, actually, when I interviewed him for a YouTube um, <laughs> a video, and we, and we were talking about that very much, that sometimes it's about the people and the people who, of course, it, you know, it's present day, you are the ones who are performing this. Um, and so as we've talked about and found out about your your lives, you want to bring that to the work and you do bring that to the work. And so there's a layer of contemporaneity that's going on there just with who is doing the uh, the the movement. But yeah, could you share a little bit about how you, maybe how you feel about that or Fiana maybe? Yeah, I know that it's a very big question, something yes. that artists across genres have grappled with how do they become contemporary uh-huh. and I think if one is dancing any form in the present moment in any context that is contemporary but at the same time I would also add that in the specific context of Kathak I'm only sort of standing on the shoulders of giants who have been consistently innovating improvising and experimenting with the form and all of that that it has to offer. And Kathak is a very interesting form because it has really sort of carried whatever history that was given to it. It is a syncretic form and then sort of allow that to seep into the movement vocabularies as well as the music, as well as the sort of attire. So there are different kinds of attire that come from different sort of influences in Kathak. For Discover Dance specifically, I will be sharing a classical Kathak composition set on one of the classical sort of beat cycles. It might be a 16-beat cycle, it might be a 14-beat cycle. This is something that all Kathak dancers would recognize if there is a trained Kathak dancer in the audience might even be able to dance along. (laughs) (laughs) So it would be something really recognizable. So, but I also want to sort of mention that there are a lot of choreographers across the world that are innovating, rethinking what it means to be using, you know, some people say that Kathak has more than 2000 years of history you would see those um, movements, you know, like this movement on a on some sort of architecture. But how do you do that now? And it has different, I guess, different 
effects. You know, if I were to do this 2,000 years ago, and if I were to do this now, those are two very different uses of the same movement. But it's really up to how I negotiate that relationship of that interpretation between my iteration and my audience, wherever I am located. But one thing I would really like to add that some people that influence me in terms of what do I do with the weight of tradition of this form, pay sort of, pay an homage to it, do it justice, and sort of honor the long-standing work that has been done in classical Kathak and then share it in a different space. I have people that I really look up to. Um, there's Urja Thakur Desai in, um, in the UK. She runs Bhagrav Dance and she talks a lot about how she has different modalities of pedagogy, how she thinks about Kathak, what, what is she doing with Kathak in the contemporary world. And I'm really inspired by other women choreographers who were trained in, in Kathak but are using that vocabulary to tell different stories. And I would definitely say that, you know, there are certain integral aspects of doing Kathak. You know, you would have the pirouettes, you would have the footwork, you have the beat cycles, you have the different sort of genealogies or traditions, um, but that's like language. Um, if you think about it in terms of poetry, you have the same language but its arrangement can have different effects. So if you have a Kathak language, you can arrange it in a way that has a different effect for a different audience and a different purpose. So I just think of it in that way. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, it's beautiful. And I think there's something about that we have to watch for in contemporary dance. It's still tied to dance training in some way. That, that it can be multiple lineages and, and a form, a technique can come from multiple different forms. But there is, in essence, I think, to be able to call it a dance style, as you said, there are certain things that that means it's katak. And if, if they've gone, then it's still potentially contemporary dance, but it's no longer katak necessarily. And I think there is a line, a, a very interesting, a very important disciplinary border there. And I think that helps when we have that line, I think it helps us determine which form is of the most influence and which which stories are being told, but which training is informing the dancer. And it's not a judgment call on one or another. It's just that this is how we actually distinguish or make distinctions about the types and how the artists can make distinctions for themselves in a very committed, devoted way. So I think that's a yeah, beautiful, beautiful um, description. Thank you for that. Shilpa? I'm so passionate about Bharatanatyam that I wanted to live and breathe and live on and grow with the artists that exist today. So I'm all for breaking and challenging the norms. We live in a day and age where dancers are so creative and so talented and they come up with so many new movement vocabularies while still sticking to the grammar and the fundamental principles of Bharatanatyam, which like what you said, Claire, make it what it is. So it's very contemporary in its approach from the point of view of thinking through new ways of moving in space. But it is, but it still sticks to the the, the, the grammar of Bharatanatyam. The other thing that I have noticed as I work on a lot of compositions is even if you take a very traditional piece, just Hindu philosophy and Indian philosophy in general is just so 
open-ended that the deeper you go into it, the more contemporary it becomes because you start to draw so many patterns to the things that you experience and the things that you see around you. And so for that reason, I, I feel like my version of Bharatanatyam is very contemporary, uh, but it's contemporary dance that doesn't look like contemporary dance in the way that the West defines it. And that in itself makes it contemporary because it's shattering the norm. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful place to kind of finish the entire thing, really, unless you want to raise anything else at this point. But I think we've covered so many wonderful things. It's such a great introduction to both of you for our listeners. I know we'll be hearing more from both of you anyway as the, as the years go on, and I look forward to that and your continued relationship with the Dance Centre as we move forward. So, uh, yeah, if there's anything, would you like to add anything? Have I missed anything? With Fiona, you mentioned that you have a few things going on this summer. I think one of them is with Dance West Network. And then will you be performing in, uh, in Victoria as well this summer or later on this year, do you think? Maybe later on next year next year okay yes, yes. we'll look out for that as well through yeah. dance victoria thank you and shilpa did you say you have a full-length work as well that you're working on at the moment that's right it's coming up in september in edmonton edmonton okay so they are covering canada or bc and alberta for now is there any desire to go back to montreal or toronto with your work fiana is it too early to say it's it's too early to say, but I do have a very strong connection with Montreal and Toronto. Those two cities are very close to my heart. Um, so we will see where it goes from there. And I know that um, there is also a big dance community in both of those cities. Yeah. So I'd love to, you know, get in touch and learn more about the work that is being done in other cities as well. But I feel like there's a lot of learning that I need to do here in Vancouver, a lot of communities and a lot of one-on-one -on -one relationships that I'm building with dance artists and other artists in the city that I want to spend a lot of time and sit with and be grateful for <laughs> for the moment. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful, Claire, that you you know, created this space for, for me and for me to also hear Shilpa's story and um, be a part of this conversation. Um, thank you so much for facilitating this. My absolute pleasure. Thank you to both of you two too, and uh, more to come. Thank you so much, Claire. It was wonderful chatting with you today. Bye for now. Thank you so much for listening. We would love for you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts, as this will help other listeners find us and help us to grow our dance audience. We'll be back next month. In the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook at The Dance Centre, Twitter at Dance Centre, and Instagram at The Dance Centre BC. And if you'd like to support our work, please consider making a donation. Just go to our website at thedancecenter.ca where you'll find extensive information about our upcoming programs and events. The music for the Dance Centre podcast was composed by James B. Maxwell. Always a pleasure to connect with you through dance. Until next time.